Amen. It is good to be here again this year. It's a blessing, always a privilege, and we are praying for your pastor, my friend, Brother Roger Hoots. Our church has been praying for some time, and uh, he, uh, we talked recently, and as a pastor, you're always concerned that your special meetings go off right and everything, people get help and all of that, and he said, are you going to be okay uh, coming there, he said, without me being there, and I said, well, I'm uh, I'm comfortable. I'm just disappointed because I was so looking forward. I, it helps you when you're pa- the pastor of the church is there because you can kind of cue off of him. Yeah. And you know where to back up. And, you know, I don't want to leave any messes for him to mop up. Amen. But since he's not here, it's, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But uh, <clears throat> praise the Lord. It is good to be here. We are praying. The church is praying back home in Danville for this meeting this week. Many people have told me before I left they'd be praying and I know they will. And we'll continue to pray for your pastor. And as always, uh, I'm always thrilled to get the opportunity to be here. And I really do want to help you this week. I want to make a comment about Sunday school. You know, uh, they were singing those songs, the blood covers it all. I don't think uh, sometimes we realize that the blood is not just needful to be saved, but it's also a needful place to revisit Calvary as a Christian, get refreshed and uh, uh, you know, I'm not so sure. I've been looking at some things, and a lot of times we do discipleship, and I'm all for that, but typically we think of discipleship of, okay, we're going to teach about eternal security and proper mode of baptism in the local church, but I don't know if those things are good to learn, and you will learn those things in a, in a local church, but I don't know that that helps you to just take off in growth. Maybe what we need to do for discipleship is start teaching new converts how to preach the gospel to themselves every day of their life. When Paul preached, and well, he was preaching, but he was rebuking the church at Corinth for 14 chapters. When you get to chapter 15, he says, moreover, brethren, I declare what? I declare unto you the gospel. The gospel, too many people think, well, the gospel, that's for the sinners. And it is. Trust me, I understand that. They have to hear that and receive Jesus Christ, the Christ of the Bible, the one, the death, burial, and resurrection that did that for us. But as Christians, we don't need to get too far from Calvary at any point in our life. And he talked about those atonements and all the things they did in the book of Leviticus. You know something that's very interesting to me? Well, listen, I'm a King James Bible man. That's what this church stands on. There is a reason why we take that position. Okay, there's a very good reason. And one of the things that was interesting to me that goes along with Sunday school, when you go through the Old Testament and read back there, it, constantly, it uses the word atonement over 80 times in the Old Testament. And it would, every time you read the word atonement in the Old Testament, it would say they brought an atonement or they made an atonement. But then Jesus Christ shows up, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. When he shows up the first time, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now here's, you say, what's that got to do with the King James Bible? You know how many times the word atonement is in your New Testament? Anybody know offhand? Once. One time. And every commentator is going to tell you it's the wrong word right there. It's Romans 5.11. But I'm here to tell you it is not the wrong word. That Bible is a perfect, it's a pure book. It's a perfect book, perfectly balanced. You say, well, why does the word atonement only show up one time in the New Testament? Because there's only one atonement Amen. that matters. Amen. And that's the one he made. And listen, in that context, Romans 5.11, I'll leave you to look it up this afternoon. It says nothing about us making an atonement. Rather, it says 
You're to joy in God who have now received the atonement. Not an atonement, like they said in the Old Testament, but the atonement. When you receive Jesus Christ, you are receiving him as a person and all that he did on your behalf. So you receive the atonement in this age. You don't make one. We're not under the law. And uh, those, those things, by the way, if you'll study the book of Hebrews, you say, when are you going to preach? I'm preaching right now. Amen. This is on my heart. My heart is full. Those songs, that Sunday school, all that stuff in Leviticus. Everything in your Old Testament, listen, is a shadow of the thing to come. Jesus Christ is the actual substance of those shadows. The Bible says the law made nothing perfect. And it could never, with those sacrifices which were offered from year to year, take away sins. But this man, after having offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And uh, what's interesting in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews is a great book. And the whole theme of that is reminding that Jewish man and to everybody that the law was a shadow. Christ is the substance and Christ is better. Than the law, because he fulfilled it all, and it says over there that the the shadow could never take away, could never make anything perfect. The law could not, and it couldn't take away sins. But this man, after having offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. Here's another interesting thing: a couple of verses before that, those priests that he's talked about, they stood stood daily because they had to keep offering. But after he offered himself one sacrifice for sins. And he cried out at three o'clock that afternoon, it is finished. Then he sat down. You know when you can sit down? When the work is done. Now that whole idea is lost on this generation, amen, because they sit down all the time when the work's not done, amen. But in, uh, in God's economy where things are true, amen, that'll help you out. You can never make too much of Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Amen, amen. All right, let's all stand under the reading of the Word of God this morning. Let's turn to Isaiah in your Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 5. Boy, I'm looking forward to this week, and I hope you'll come and be here uh, tonight at uh, 6 o'clock and Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night at 7. There's nothing that thrills a pastor's heart more than seeing his people in their place uh, to receive what God has for them. And I know you've been praying, and I'm excited about this week, and I'm excited for this morning. And so here in Isaiah chapter 5, I'd like you to read with me a handful of verses. Look with me, if you will, look with me in verse 11. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11, the Word of God says this, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink. It's not the rising up early that God pronounces the woe upon. It's the fact that they get up early to have another shot. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that continue until night till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial and the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts. They got lots of partying going on, lots of music, lots wine and song. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, because of these things, when you see the word therefore, you've heard it before. 
but it's always referring back to what you just read. It's going to build off. In other words, because of these things, because of that, therefore, this. So he says this, therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. And so I want to preach this morning with the help of the Lord on why hell hath enlarged herself. The abode of the damned, those that die in their sins, go according to the Bible to a place called hell, where they weep and wail and gnash their teeth according to the Bible. This place called hell, it's a literal place. This place that souls descend into is always in a building program. They're always knocking out the back wall, if you will, to make more room for all those, the multitudes that are descending there. Now, why is that? Is it because God is a tyrant that He's just rejoices at watching people die and go to this place? No, that's not the reason because the Bible says that God hath no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And that he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But God will not compromise his holiness to allow unclean souls into his presence. And he has made it, as we've heard from Sunday school, he has put the ball in our court. And he has a gospel that has been preached to the world and is still being preached this morning. But that gospel has terms that men must come to him on. You have to come to God, not on your terms or even your time. You come on God's terms and God's time. And he has said, I will cleanse you. There's nothing you can do, but men reject. They stumble over a bloody cross and go headlong into a place called hell. And hell hath enlarged herself. And I want to preach with the help of the Lord why the Lord has allowed this, and why hell hath enlarged herself. Let's pray one more time. Father, we come to you now in Jesus Christ's name, Lord, already enjoying the fellowship, Lord, the opportunity, the health to be here today. Lord, we do pray for Pastor Hoots. I pray, God, you'd touch him today, help him as he recovers, and, Lord, uh, help him to feel the prayers of all the people that are lifting his name up. And, Lord, I pray for this service right now, God, that you would please meet with us. Thank you for what we enjoyed in Sunday school. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for something to sing about. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you do for us. I pray you'd use me now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Hell hath enlarged herself, is what the scripture said. It's getting bigger. It increases because it's being populated more and more. They have to make more room and I don't know, you know, all of what someone would say about this, but obviously there are those that uh, preach that God has predetermined those that would go to heaven and those that would go to hell. My question would be, why does hell continue to get larger? Why didn't he make it big enough to begin with if there was already a determined number? Listen, let's not get into all of that. Let's talk about, amen, what our responsibility is toward God. He has made his word plain in fifth grade English. And I read here that uh, the Bible says that hell hath enlarged herself. My question becomes, why? How has that happened? What is it that would enlarge this place? Hell is a reality. There used to be a lot more preaching on the place called hell than there is these days. 
not a very popular thing. A lot of people think that it's just a figment of imagination. I received a, an angry email from someone in Lexington, Kentucky a couple of months back. I checked my email one evening and it said uh, the title. You know how you look and you see the title, whatever someone wrote to you. And it said fear-mongering. I said, oh, amen. So I click on this and it says, your minions continue to litter the streets of Lexington with your mythological God and your fear-mongering. If fear is what you're going to use to indoctrinate people or convert people to your faith, you might want to consider a new faith. So normally you don't answer a fool according to his folly, but there's also another verse that says answer a fool. And I could not just leave that alone. So I emailed back and I said, what part of the gospel track that you picked up makes you afraid? Oh, trust me, I'm not afraid. I just think it's despicable that you, people don't pay attention to this. They throw him on the street. He mentioned something about the litter. I said, so if you're bothered about the litter in Lexington, I said, do you send angry emails to the Anheuser-Busch company? Because I've seen a lot more busted beer bottles on the streets of Lexington than I ever saw our gospel tracks. And so my point is this, he was afraid and he wrote back, he says, you're missing my point. I'm like, no, you're missing my point. But when you read a simple gospel track and you want to talk about fear mongering, amen, I, I, give me a break. I said, listen, he went on and said some more stuff to try to insult God in the Bible. And the, finally, I closed the conversation by saying, I'll see you at the judgment. Now, what is it that makes people afraid? And, and you know what I heard uh, you saw last Monday, uh, almost a, tomorrow will be a week since the, uh, the situation with DeMar Hamlin. And the Buffalo Bills and him falling out right there with cardiac arrest. And uh, there's a lot of things we could talk about about that. I'm just here to tell you that, you know what God is doing? God is trying to get somebody's attention. He says, I'll tell you what we're going to do tonight. Now, don't, don't misread into this. Don't read into, well, brother, off top says, God judge Damar Hamlin. No, death is a part of, of life on this earth in fallen world. And the Bible says that God holds our breath in his hand. So, you know, he is in control of those things. So all I'm telling you is at the 50-yard line at midfield in primetime television with, with probably hundreds of millions of sports fans watching a game, a stadium full of people, hundreds of thousands listening on the radio, uh, all of a sudden people had to stop and consider death. God says, now watch this, right here at midfield, I'm going to do this because everybody the next day, uh, you'd hear on the talk radio in Kentucky, people said, oh, I was there at the game. It was so uncomfortable wondering, is this man going to die? And you couldn't do anything about it. Uncomfortable. Because nobody likes to talk about death. But I'm going to tell you something. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And when a man dies, he goes to one of two places. A place prepared for the prepared and a place prepared for the unprepared. There is a place called heaven where God resides, perfect, holy, joyous, all of those things. And there is a place where unsaved sinners go that lose their soul in a place called hell. And you say, well, preacher, why? Why does hell enlarge itself? Well, look with me, if you will, in Proverbs chapter 23. Here's the first reason, I believe, the Bible gives us some insight of what helps populate this place called hell. Proverbs chapter 23, look with me if you will in verse 13. The scripture says this, 
Proverbs 23, verse 13 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. I could preach that to every grandmother in America. You know who hinders child training, by the way? Grandparents. Yes. Grandmother interferes. Well, I didn't expect it to be this quiet right here. Somebody turn up the live feed. I want to hear Brother Rogers amen in me right here. But I'm going to tell you something. That child that gets their hands smacked because they're reaching out, grabbing your glasses off your face, and you smack their hand and they cry. Grandma says, don't do that to them. They're just a a baby. They're not crying because their hand got smacked. They're crying because they're full of self and they cannot believe that you would stop them from exercising their self-will. So the Bible says, withhold it not. And it says this, I'm reading from a Bible. And it says, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Why? Because God has a cushioned area of the anatomy. And it won't break bones. It will hurt feelings. But because I know what you see, you've been trained by the news media to think a certain way when a preacher preaches what the Bible says. Well, I just don't believe in child abuse. I don't either. It doesn't say smack them upside the head. It doesn't say slam them against the wall. It says beat them with a rod. And you say, that's terrible. No, it's not because you know it's the backside that is the target. And there'll be no broken bones. There'll be no loss of blood. How am I doing right here? Now you say, preacher, you're preaching about why hell hath enlarged itself. I'm getting there. Look at verse 14. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. You say, why has hell enlarged itself? You ready for this one? Number one, because of foolish parenting in America. God's word has wisdom and instruction. People put it on their walls for decorative purposes and never consider what it says. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Now we like that and it sounds good and it's wonderful. It's a religion, it's a Bible verse, trust in the Lord. That sounds wonderful. But do you really trust in him? You say, well, how will I know? Read the last half. The negative side of the verse says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We like that and think we do that until we compare it scripturally with what it says next. Lean not unto thine own understanding. So a lot of people, they go along with God as long as they agree. But it's when you say, whew, boy, I'm going to trust God that he knows what he's talking about when he says, if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Because there's a lot of people that right here lean to their own understanding. There was someone who was arguing about this not too long ago, and they said, there's more to child training than whipping them. And I would answer to that statement, that is true. There is more to it than the rod. Much more to it. But you can't leave that part of the recipe out. Otherwise, you're telling God, appreciate the suggestion, but I'll take it from here. And since the church and society at large has done that, all you must do to find out the how that work out for you deal is to visit your local Walmart. 
Last night on the trip from Louisville, I learned how this week to say it right. Someone says, you're not from around here, preacher, if you say there's no two syllables in Louie. It's Lou, Louisville. We flew from Louisville to Houston. And when we sat down, there was a young, bah, probably three, four-year-old. Heather said, it's a shame. She said, when we were taken off, she said something along the line, well, there's another mother that has no idea. That kid was in charge the whole flight. And that makes for a fun flight for everybody. Hmm? Yeah. Too much Oprah Winfrey, not enough King James. Now you say, preacher, what's this foolish parenting? When you, when you withhold the rod and you hold re, withhold reproof and you withhold restraints, what was, what was the deal going over, on over there in the book of Samuel? There, that priest, when Samuel came along, he restrained his sons not. He would not restrain them. And I'm going to tell you what it does. Uh, listen, a child has a will. And it's, it's bent towards selfishness. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And if you go your own way, you'll end up in hell. Now you say, I still don't understand, preacher. Nobody's ever really explained that verse to me. It's very simple. When Proverbs 23, 14 says, Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Here's real simple. It, it's teaching a child that God has placed authority in his life. And what the authority says is what goes. We got it flipped around. That kid was the authority over his mother. I don't know why they do this. It's like, look, you outweigh him 100 pounds. I think you could take him. Why are you trying to satisfy every whim? The eyes of men are never satisfied. And so here's what happens. If the child hears an authority say, don't do that again or this will happen, and the child will go ahead in his fallen condition, he will test the authority And if nothing ever happens, he recognizes that my will is more powerful than any authority that I'll meet. The first authority a child is put under in the home is his parents. And when that authority will not put the boundaries down and follow through with the consequences, the punishment, they learn that when I'm threatened by an authority, it's all a false front. Because nothing is going to happen. Now, how does that, how does, preacher, you still haven't explained, how does that work into this thing about someone dying in their sins and going to hell? Because what did our verse say? Read it again. It says, if thou beat him with the rod, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. How does that work? Because if you won't beat that child, if you won't reprove him, correct him, restrain him properly and make him get under the authority that's over him, then when he's sitting there and the spirit of God comes, in some church service and says, you're lost, you're guilty, you're going to hell. You must repent and take Christ. He remembers, well, all the other authorities in my life threaten me. That can't be right. You learn to start negotiations with authority rather than submitting to authority. Are you all getting that? Why have hell enlarged herself? Because people don't know how to raise children and train kids. They're out of control. And they cannot believe. Listen, I, 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 uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying the gospel has lost its power. It has not. But I don't see as many people getting saved. They are getting saved. But I'm just saying this, that I'm going to be preaching to a society and a generation here real soon and already starting to preach to them who've never been corrected a day in their life. 
They've never been spanked. They've never been none of that. And so in their mind, nobody tells me what to do. They make for the worst. If they do get saved, they make the worst church members ever. Because they've never learned how to handle this one two-letter word that it's pronounced this way. No. Now, I'm, I'm talking about what in, enlarges hell. And I'm going to tell you something. Timeouts, that's an empty threat. That's a joke. See, that's you leaning under your own understanding rather than trusting what the Lord said. I wish my dad had heard about and had believed in timeouts. It would have saved me a lot of pain. The Bible says, hear ye the rod. Listen to the correction. You know what you find out? I found out if I disobeyed my dad, it was painful. There were results, there were punishments, there were problems that, that, that could have been avoided had I just listened. So a child that's, that's made to mind, to listen, to obey, and is, is truly punished when he doesn't do right, then he will learn to respect authority and you give him a better opportunity at getting born again. Say, why? Because he knows that, hey, dad meant what he said. And if God says it, I'm getting saved because I don't want to face the consequence. And listen, when your child gets under conviction, can I give you a piece of advice? Do not comfort the conviction away. Do not kiss them on the head and say, it's going to be okay. You're a good little boy or a good little girl. Let God wear them out. Amen. And don't worry about praying with them too quick. I don't get nobody upset. I'm just saying when God starts working on their heart, he's not going to quit banging on that heart. You help them along, guide them and encourage them and and point them to Calvary. But amen, don't just get them to say some words. Uh, We got churches that are full of lost people who prayed when they were five and didn't understand. Now, if you got saved when you were five and you can articulate that and you know that's when you did business with God, I say praise the Lord. Jesus said, suffer the little children and forbid them not. So I'm not forbidding children getting saved. I'm just telling you, our churches are filled with people who who prayed some empty prayer because some well-meaning but misguided Sunday school teacher or VBS worker run them through Salvation Station. And they have no living relationship to God, no desire, no appetite for the Word of God, no desire for the church, and it's work to them. Because they've never been saved. They've never been born again. They've never had a true living meeting with the Savior yet. So hell hath enlarged herself. I got this from Sword of the Lord. John R. Rice printed this years ago. And I got to read this before. It's a poem. It'll help you out. Some of your faces, I need to lighten it up just a little bit right here. And uh, this is a good poem about this very thing. Hell hath enlarged herself because of foolish parenting. But this poem says this, Junior kicked the meter man, Junior bit the cook. Junior is antisocial now, according to the book. Junior smashed the clock and lamp, and Junior hacked a tree. Destructive trends are treated in chapters 2 and 3. Junior threw his milk at mom, and Junior screamed for more. Notes of self-assertiveness are found in chapter 4. Junior threw his shoes and socks right out in the rain. But the book says this is normal, just disregard the stain. Junior got in Grandpa's room and he tore his fishing line. That's just to get attention, according to page 89. But Grandpa grabbed his belt and jerked old Junior across his knee because Grandpa ain't read a book since 1953. Amen. Yeah. Talk about 
you know, throwing milk and child training. My mom was trying to teach me how to drink out of a cup and get off the, the sippy cup or whatever it was. And I can still remember this. And my mom is working a shift. My dad had been sick and she had to go to work. And so she was tired and she's trying. So she put, she said, now watch this. And so she's, we're setting the table across the kitchen table and she's tipping it back. She said, now you try. And so I'd take it and I'd go, you know, and the milk would go everywhere. And she says, no, no. And she's cleaning it up, you know, and she's trying to help me to learn how to drink out of a cup, a glass. And I kept blowing in it and the milk would go everywhere. So finally mom took the glass back and she took that gallon of milk and she, Filled that to the top, and she's just looking at me. I can see this in my mind, and she went, Stop. <laughs> yeah. It's called a whiteout. <laughs> you can't see anything, and when you do open your eyes, they're burning with, I'm lactose intolerant to this day. <laughs> Say, what was that? That was her exercising her authority. Yeah. And I quit <laughs> in my milk glass after that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Psalm chapter 9, look at this one. Why hath hell enlarged herself? Psalm chapter 9, look at verse 17 with me. Mm. Psalm 9, verse 17, the Bible says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Can I tell you, you're living in a nation that knew God at one time, but... This nation, this country has forgotten God. Say, where is America going? We got to get these politics uh, going. I'm going to tell you, this is just my, this is a personal opinion. You can disagree with me and you might be right. But I have no, I have absolutely no hope in politics in any form at all at this point. None. I'm talking about the ones that say they're conservative. I think they're all liars. And they have their self, their self-interest is what they're interested in themselves, not the country we live in. They're intimidated. They won't say what they need to say. That's not the message. And you can straighten me out after church. But I'm telling you, we're living in a nation that is described in Psalm 9, verse 17. Why hath hell enlarged herself? Because this nation, and when people forget God, foolish parenting, And forgetting God, forgetful people who forget what he's done for them. All these people complaining about America and all of our faults and all, and we, I'm sure we do. We have a a past that you can point back and say, that was wrong, that wasn't good. But of course, we're living in a fallen world. This is still the best country to live in. And the reason it is, is because God blessed and God put his hand on this country And so the things that we enjoy is because God has blessed us. We are living on the tail end of the blessings that were earned for us, if you will, 200 years ago. But America has forgotten God. And according to this verse, whole nations go into hell. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all nations that forget God, America has forgotten. Listen. It's, it's true for anybody. Uh, blessed is the nation who, whose uh, God is the Lord. And listen, God, God chose Israel, but America chose God in her beginnings. That doesn't make us sinless. That doesn't, it just means that our founding fathers had a respect for the, even the ones that were not born again, that were deists, still had respect for that book and believed that that was God's word. 
So they made a government uh, that, that honored morality. And when you throw the Bible out, the form of government we have cannot stand. And that's why you see it crumbling. He talked about the, the corrosion of sin and how it breaks things down and wears things away. We are wore out in America because of sin. Forgetful people. Uh, there was a quote, uh, many of you probably have heard it, a man named Alex de, de, uh, de Tocqueville. De Tocqueville. He wrote a book back in the, the early 1800s called Democracy in America. And this was one of the things he wrote. He said, upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. Their pulpits flamed with righteousness. That was a quote from a man who came from over in England to examine what had just started over here. And he said, that's a quote from his book. Democracy in America. He said, the the first thing I noticed was how religious everybody was. Now, we don't like that word religious, but you understand they used it a little differently back then. That means people have a respect for God. They go to church. Many of those religious people were born again people. And he says, their pulpits flamed with righteousness. Now the pulpits flames with flamers. (laughs) I remember in fourth grade, Miss Crawford's class, I can still remember her standing up there at the chalkboard and she said, uh, we were studying the Revolutionary War. This is back in 1984. And she said, uh, the Revolution, the kids, the Revolutionary War wasn't fought in 1984. That's when I was in fourth grade. I right, just <laughs> want to clarify that. You know, you got, sometimes you don't quite get it across there. But I'm studying in fourth grade, 1984, about the Revolutionary War. And Mrs. Crawford said this. She said, now it's interesting. She goes, how history, she says, uh, someone will say something, it gets picked up and repeated and it becomes As fact, she says, but the battle of Bunker Hill, she said, no one can really explain why they call it the battle of Bunker Hill. She goes, the the battle was actually fought on Breed's Hill, which is next to Bunker. And she says, but she goes, history books wrote it down as Bunker Hill. Now I'm not thrown off on Mrs. Crawford. She told the truth. The battle was fought as far as the actual armies clashing on Breed's Hill. But here would have been a great little piece of information that would have really been a blessing to that class. You say, what was the piece of information? This, there was a war chaplain in the Revolutionary Army by the name of David Avery. He prayed on Bunker Hill, overlooking the ongoing battle with hands outstretched to heaven, just like Moses did back in the book of Exodus. And they said that he put his hands in the air over there on Bunker Hill and while the armies, the, the Americans were fighting there with the British, he had his hands up and was praying to God for victory. And they won. So afterwards, the people said, hey, the battle was fought on Breed's Hill, but it was won on Bunker Hill. Because Avery was up there praying. Like Moses of old. Hey, that's the history of America. It's not what they tell you that bothers me. It's what they forget to tell you. All the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. And you know what? Uh, this, this society of ours, it has just inundated us with frivolous stuff to do. You know, I try to teach my teenagers, trying to teach my son. He turned 18 yesterday. And, uh, and of course, there is a draw, uh, and everybody knows, because probably many of you in here are addicted to phones and all of that stuff. And I, I'm not here to tell you that phones in and of themselves are wrong. You're not going to get rid of them. You're not going to get away from them. Because that's how we communicate, basically. There's so many, it's just connected to that. 
I heard one man, he wisely said it this way. He said, cell phones are dangerous, but so is marriage and razor blades. <laughs> marriage can be a blessing. Razor blades can be beneficial if they're handled properly. Problem is, uh, I can preach this to kids, but it probably affects adults just as much. And I've tried to tell my son, there's more than just, it's not about you going to the wrong website. That could be a problem, but it's the fact that what it's doing to your mind. If nothing else, that it's distracting you from living life. I I was in a, um, I've got liberty here, so it's only just now 12 o'clock. I came a long way. I want to preach, okay? Listen, I would, Brother Andy did a Christmas special uh, about a month ago in White House, there were, there were some of the best musicians on stage. These people were there, Miss Rochelle, Miss Rachel, and they were singing Christmas uh, hymns and doing things. It was just, and there was, you know, 350 people came out to this uh, a performance. It was on a Friday night in the church down at White House, Tennessee. And I was sitting there and I just was blown away. We took some folks from our church of the skill of the musicians and the, and, and the, the, the singing and the vocals. And it was just awesome. I'm, I mean, right there on the second pew. And I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful. And there was a, there was a 15, 16 year old girl sitting two seats to my left with a phone and literally the whole concert. And, the, and, and she was sitting there with her uh, kicking her hand like this and just, and I mean, never looked up. For the two hours that they played. And I just kept glancing over going, girl, you are missing life. Something amazing is going on. There is live music happening right here in this room. By some of the greatest musicians and singers. It's lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. And all you're doing is sending 1,800 emojis to your friend one county over. She knows you're here. So shut your phone off and and live life. And too many people are are living life with their head down doing all this stuff. Now, why am I bringing that up right here? Because distractions is what causes us to forget God. We forget Him because we are distracted. When you read in Luke 17, Jesus Christ describes the days of Noah, the days of Lot. If you were to ask the average independent Baptist, what was going on uh, in the days of Lot? They say, oh, that's Sodom and Gomorrah, all them perverts and all that. You know what he says? He says over there, he goes, they were eating and drinking and building and, and, and marrying and giving in marriage. Those are all, there's not one thing in that list that's a sin. There's no sin in there. What is that? Just business as usual. Every day, but they came, he says, and it, the flood took them away. And the judgment came and took them away. It came upon them unawares. Why? Because they forgot about God because they were busy with all of their little trinkets and all of their little distractions. That's why I said at the beginning of the sermon, Monday night football might have been God breaking in on our distraction. And you know what that did? When a man was about to possibly lose his life, when they were putting him on an ambulance, they found, that's the only time in my life, and probably yours too, that I'm aware of in NFL history, that a Monday night game is done. We, we can't do no more. We just need to kind of like get our breath here. You know what it did? It put everybody's priorities back where they're supposed to be. And the fact that, listen, you say, well, by the way, I, I, the Lord put it on my heart. I wrote DeMar Hamlin a letter and put a gospel track in. I know exactly what hospital he's in up there in Cincinnati. And I mailed it out last Tuesday. And our church is praying that if, if he's unsaved, maybe that'll get in there. Try it. Take a shot. Do something. Never what God's going to bless. But the point is this. Is our priorities get put back in place when we remember God. It's our tendency to forget Him. You know what they did on the Titanic? And I'm moving on. I got one more point after this. 
The night the Titanic hit that iceberg, they had a, a real good orchestra. I mean, the best money could buy at the time. And, uh, you know, they were playing there. Well, you know what they told them when they found a king, or a king, E.J. Smith, the captain, when they went down below deck after they'd scraped that iceberg, and they knew, those men knew then that this thing cannot survive this. But they didn't want to incite panic among the people. See what they did? They came up and they told that orchestra specifically, keep playing, play on the deck, play upbeat tunes, ragtime, jazz, keep it, keep it encouraging, keep it upbeat. Because you know what that music did? It was hard to feel like there was an emergency or a disaster or a tragedy unfolding as long as the music kept going. You remember our text in Isaiah chapter 5? Y'all remember that where we were started with? Remember the music? It talks about the music, the tabrets, the vial, and all those things. And you say, what, what does it say? It says this, the harp and the vial, the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts. And it says, and they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Now, I mentioned earlier, it's a blessing to enjoy music that exalts Jesus Christ. But a lot of music and the things that are being flung at us through our phones and through all this is just to distract us from eternity. And so we quit considering God and we quit considering the work of his hands. Now, why do you think Jesus Christ said in his first public sermon, consider the lilies? He said, consider the fowls of the air, consider the, the birds. You know what he's telling you? Get outside and watch things. Consider things because ask now the beasts and they shall teach thee. Listen, he knew that getting outside and seeing what God had done would get people to realize, hey, there's something more to all this thing called life. In other words, nature and creation will teach you some things, but we're so distracted. We haven't even, it's like, what, what, a bird, what's a lily? I'm just saying we can forget God. Why? Because we're distracted by frivolous things while tragedy is unfolding. And lastly, I'll say this, hell hath enlarged herself. Number one, foolish parenting, not teaching children that there are authorities that God has placed in their life. There are consequences for disobeying authority. That's, that should be number one. I don't care what Dr. Spock says. I believe what Dr. Jesus says. And then number two, forgetting God. And the church can do that, but America as a whole has absolutely done that. They've forgotten God, and I'm afraid that many churches have forgotten God and why they even exist. And then lastly, I'll say this, hell hath enlarged herself. Now I'm going to put the ball in your court. Maybe, you're, maybe you've, not been, you've not fallen into the trap of foolish parenting. Maybe you haven't forgotten God, but here's something maybe that'll hit in your court that'll help you. In Luke 16, the great New Testament passage on the man who died and went to hell. The scripture says there that the man that died and was buried in verse 23, it says, in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. Look at verse 27. Then he said, he's having a conversation with Abraham he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Now, you know the story. He's referring to the man that he knew in life, the beggar that was at the foot of the, uh, at, by the gate outside his palace. This man that died fared sumptuously every day. He lived high and mighty, but his life was gone in a moment. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
He has lost his soul. He is in torments, this place called hell that's enlarging itself. And here's what he cries for. He says, well, send Lazarus. That's what he's going to say. Look at it. Uh, He goes, I pray, therefore, Father, that I would have sent him to my father's house. He said, send Lazarus. He says, for verse 28, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And you know what he's asking for? He's asking for someone, he's asking for a witness to go visit his brothers. He can remember his five brothers. He remembers his daddy's house. He has his memory intact. I think that's one of the the miseries and torments of hell is the memory is still there. And he says, hey, he said, send him back uh, to my brothers and, and tell them, tell them to repent. And of course, Abraham says, no, he says, they have Moses, they have the Bible. If they'll not hear the Bible, they'll not believe the one rose from the dead. But there is a practical truth that we can take as Christians. And that is in hell, they want people to make visits. They want people to go and tell them the truth so that their relatives do not go to this awful place. And, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I wonder how many people have made any attempt in the last year. Hey, we're starting a new year. This might be a good uh, a goal for you, a spiritual thing you could, with the help of God, accomplish. Why not set your sights on an individual that you know is lost, set into praying for them, and then listen to God how you might reach them and how you might go to them and give them a witness. So you say, what's, why is hell enlarging herself? Well, the last point I want to make this morning is the fact of failing Christians. We fail to give the gospel to people who are lost. The man in hell wanted someone to go visit his brothers. I wonder if there's anybody in hell that's praying that somebody that's got the truth would go visit one of their family members. You know, we have, it's a great privilege to carry the gospel. You know how I know? The angels desire to look into these things. And in Acts chapter 10, an angel shows up in a lost man's house, Cornelius. Are y'all with me? You read your Bible, you've read that. And you know what he says? People all the time, I've I've asked them questions, are you saved? And then they want to go into some really wild, crazy, spooky religious story. And, uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, one time I was watching this TV preacher and, and, and an angel with these wings just reached out underneath my bed and wrapped around me. I said, angels don't have wings, so I don't be saying no angel put his wings around you. There are unclean things that have wings. They only have wings if they're on a Walmart, or I'm sorry, a Hallmark card or in a chick track. And I understand why, but nevertheless, I'm losing some of you right there. Okay, I'll talk to you later about that. Just focus. Here's the thing. They start talking about angels and angels came and visited me and I had this overwhelming warm feeling. I've heard stuff like this. This angel showed up. It was just, it was there and and it just let me know that everything was okay. Mm. Problem. An angel showed up in Cornelius' house. You know what the angel said? Call for a man. Call for a man. Those angels knew Jesus Christ had died they knew those angels were, were guarding his tomb and sitting on it when it was empty. When the women showed up. Those angels knew all about the death, burial, and resurrection. Here's what I want you to get, East River. It, they were not commissioned to preach the gospel. But we are. Our job is to work and co-labor with the Lord 
in order to get this message of what Christ has accomplished on behalf of guilty sinners. That is our job to get that message to them. We think our missionaries should do it, and they should. We think preachers ought to do it, and they should. But what about you? When was the last time you believed this Bible enough to engage somebody about their soul? And to tell them the truth. I didn't say invite them to church. Nothing wrong with that. I'm, all, I'm for that. But what I'm talking about is when you get someone in a conversation. And by the way, I believe witnessing is a conversation. It's not me hitting four points and, and pushing for a prayer. It's me talking to this person and finding out some things. You know something I know about Dr. Clark? When you go see him, especially the first time, he has a lot of questions. Different questions he's asking. Why is he doing that? He's diagnosing some things. It's good to ask questions of people. And they love you. It's wonderful because people love to talk. You ask questions and they're, they're going to talk. And you're just listening. And most of the time we give doctors all kinds of information they didn't ask for and they don't need. But they don't stop us and say, I, I, didn't, I don't care about that. I want to know. They're just listening and they're jotting a few things down because as we talk, they're picking up red flags and things. It's like, I'm going to look into that. I know what this means. And you don't have to talk to someone too long until you find out what it is that they're trusting. And I'm going to tell you something. People who profess to be Christians in the South, many of them are not trusting Jesus Christ. They, they go to church. They've been baptized. That's what everybody talks about is their baptism. That's all they talk about. I was baptized when I was 11. Well, I, I didn't ask that. I asked, when did you get saved? Now, listen, hell is populated and gets larger because Christians fail to open their mouth. And you know something? If you'll ask God, here's what I have found. If you'll ask him, Lord, today, give me an opportunity to have a good conversation with someone and to, to, if you'll show me where they're at, I'm not ashamed of you. I will speak up. And if you'll do that, I don't do that every day, and I should. But when I have done that, it's amazing who God crosses your path with. You just let the creator of the universe know, I believe the gospel. It's, it saved me. I believe it can save others. I'm not ashamed of you. I will talk, but please open the door. Show me. Guide me. Direct me. I did that one time on a Southwest flight. I got on the Southwest plane. I said, Lord, I was in the airport. I said, I got a flight. We're flying from Nashville to Orlando to a meeting. I said, Lord, I, I, would, I would speak up for you. I thought, I'm going I'm to test God on this. I preach it, and I've done it before, but I'm going to test him today, see if he'll do it. I said, if you'll bring somebody that will converse with me, I would love to tell them the gospel. But, Lord, you're going to have to bring them to me. And when they sit next to me, let me know how to intro it. Help me to, help me to follow your lead. We're co-laborers. We're working alongside of the Lord Jesus. So I got on that plane and it began to fill up. And I was next to the window. A businessman sat on the outside of the row. And he put a set of headphones on and opened his laptop. I thought, well, probably not going to be able to talk to this guy. I mean, I suppose, you know, so there's some independents that would have yanked the headphones off and said, Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You're going to burn like bacon. You're going to fry. I, I, you, if that's your approach... You help yourself. I'm going to do it a little different way where they actually might listen. So I'm sitting there, but there's, there's an empty seat. That's the last open seat on the plane. And she's about to close the door. And I'm, Lord, I'm thinking, Lord, is there, is, well, I guess I don't have anybody to talk to. Maybe that's my answer. I'm thinking this. 
Well, as she's closing the door, she goes, oh, hang on. She opens up. She goes, got one more. She goes, there's only one seat back there. You know who gets on the plane? It's a black man with dreadlocks and tattoos on his neck. And I said, Lord. <laughs> now, let, let me clarify that one. It's not because he's black. It's just that this guy doesn't look like he wants to talk about Jesus Christ. Maybe Snoop Dogg, but not the Lord. So he sits down. And I'm sitting there. I said, all right, Lord, how do I open this? And he's sitting down there. And uh, he doesn't have headphones. He doesn't have any earbuds in. And he reaches out into the seat back and pulls a magazine. I, here, what am I talking about? I'm talking about praying for opportunities to witness because we fail people when we don't tell them. Why has hell enlarged itself? Because Christians quit talking about the good news. And he's sitting there, he reaches his arm out. When he does, on the inside of his arm, the Cleveland, Ohio skyline is tattooed in, on his arm. And uh, I said, go Cavs. And he's like, how do you know I'm a Cavaliers fan? I said, that's the Cleveland skyline, I said, that's tattooed on the inside of your arm. I said, I used to live in Northeast Ohio. He's like, oh, really? And so he was flying down to some basketball thing. I guess the Cavs were playing in Orlando of all places. And so we start talking a little bit about sports there. And this guy's articulate, intelligent. I mean, it's like, it's, it's totally, it just what we typically, we stereotype people. And they turn out to be totally not like that. Right? And so we're talking and, and I said, uh, we got up there in the clouds and I looked out, I mean, just those big, poofy, bubbly clouds. I said, let me ask you something. I said, when you look out there at that, I said, do you think that just happened or do you think there was a creator? He's like, Pfft. he goes, that didn't just happen. He goes, I, I, God did that. So we've established that he believes in God. And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, this God that did that, I said, do you know him? He's like, oh man. He said, I, I goes, my grandma, he goes down here in Orlando is a Jehovah's witness. And I said, okay. And he said, now my grandma in Cleveland, he said, she's a Baptist. I said, you better hang with the granny in Cleveland. (laughs) He said, well, he says, I give her a hard time. He said, because every time I leave to come down here, he goes, she's screaming, don't you do no Bible study with her. And he says, so on the way out, I'll say, Grandma, I'm going down here. I think I'm going to convert to JW, be a Jehovah's Witness. And I said, and so he was telling me all this. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. I said, your grandma in Cleveland knows what she's talking about. I said, have you ever heard her use the word saved? He's like, yeah. I said, do you think she's praying that you'll get saved? And he says, yeah. He goes, she told me that today when I left for the airport. Now. We went through the law, we went through judgment, we went to Calvary, and he was soaking it in, asking questions. And I told him, I said, let me, I said, can I tell you something? And I put a track in his hand, because he said, this is heavy, man, I got a lot to think about. But I told him, I said, well, can I tell you something? I said, you think your grandma in Cleveland prays for you? He's like, I know she does. I said, I know she does too. I said, you know what I do? I said, I'm a Baptist preacher. And I said, your grandmother's prayers set you next to me on this flight today. I said, to tell you what I believe, what your grandma believed, and what has saved millions of souls. And I said, if you'll repent and trust Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, he didn't get saved. I don't know what happened. I know I did what God called me to do. And I'm here to tell you this, that we fail. And you know what? We miss the fun of the Christian life by watching do you realize how exciting that is? God, I'm in, I'm in a gate. God, if you give me somebody to witness to, he's like, okay. 
Here we go. You, you hold up your end of the deal. I'll, I'll do my part. God is always, he abideth faithful. And we, how many times throughout the day do we miss these opportunities? And you know what our job is? Our job is to be salt and light and to tell them how to be saved. Because there is only one way a man's not going to hell. And that is if he comes on God's terms to Calvary and trusts the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot control how they respond to that, but you can control when you speak up for it. You just ask God, bring me somebody, help me, give me the courage. I'm not ashamed of you. This is the power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I will tell somebody, but you're going to have to work this out. Please, God, in your providence, help me to see the, the, the opportunity. Open the conversation up for me. Show me how I can talk to someone and actually get their ear and listen here's what the bible says paul reasoned out of the scriptures god says come now let us reason together the gospel is reasonable and all you got to do is find the opportunity where some lost sinner you can reason with them that's what you want to do then you can pray for them but don't fail in this don't help populate hell by failing to witness foolish parenting forgetful people and failing Christians. That's part of the reason why hell hath enlarged herself. And let me close by saying this. If you're here today and you've never been saved, you hear this singing, you hear these comments, these, this preaching, maybe you're troubled. Don't, be, don't run from your guilt. Don't try to cover your guilt up. Guilt is to the spirit what pain is to the body. The pain lets you know there's a problem. You need to see a physician. Guilt is the pain in the soul that says you have a problem. There is a controversy between you and God. And there's a place to go. You don't have to leave guilty. All you must do is come and cast yourself upon the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And He will save you. And He will become your Lord and your Savior. I think just now, and I'm going to close right here with this illustration. I I don't know if I've used this illustration before, but I, I feel pressed to do it right here. I use this everywhere I go because I think it illustrates what it means to believe on Jesus Christ too well to not give it. We read those passages, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. We read Paul telling them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And we've heard that word believe all our life. And most of the lost people you know will say, I believe that, and, I'm, and they are, they're not saved. So what, what is it, preacher? I'm missing it. If, it's just, if God requires us to, to turn to Him in faith and believe on Him, and you just said that if we, if many people who believe are not saved, here's the thing, we, we've heard it. They believe the information, but they've not made the application. Okay. They know about the Son of God. Many people believe. Listen, there's many lost religious people that I know, Roman Catholics and Lutherans and people who know about the virgin birth, believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, believe He died on the cross, rose from the dead, but they're not saved because they know that is information historically. But the best illustration I've ever come across, and I use it everywhere I go, may have used it again. Bear with me if this is the second time I've given it. But there was a great <clears throat> tightrope walker back in the 1800s. Great Blondin was his name. And, and this guy was the best in that day. And he strung a tightrope uh, across Niagara Falls, across the Niagara River, from the Canadian side to the American side. And he, would, he, would, he went out there across on stilts. He, went, he would jog across it. And then his big feat was he would load a wheelbarrow full of, of concrete blocks and run that wheelbarrow across that tightrope. 
And man, there was a crowd on the American side, a crowd on the Canadian side, and they would cheer the great blonde. And every time he went back and forth, and finally one time he gets to one of the sides and takes his bow, the crowd is cheering, and he says, how many of you believe the great Blondin can get this wheelbarrow back across the tightrope to the other side? They all cheered and clapped, and we know you can. We have confidence. Yes, you can do it. He said, no, come on. I want to hear you. Really let me know. How many of you believe it? And man, they cheered. All of them's cheering, and it's just, I mean, he's working in them to a frenzy. Then he picks a man out, Inbert individual. He said, sir, what about you? Do you believe the great Blondin can get this wheelbarrow back across Niagara Falls on that tightrope? He goes, yes, you can. I believe it. He said, no, sir, do you really believe it? He said, I believe it. He says, then get in. Get in. See, it's easy to give lip service to what you say you believe. But salvation is you trusting Jesus Christ. It's you casting yourself in. It's you saying, yes, Lord, I believe it so much, I'm going to trust myself to it. I'm going to get in. And you can carry me across. That's the difference. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I don't care if you believe theologically everything correct about Him. That's a good start. But that ain't salvation until you... Trust him. If there's any sinner here today, you've never repented and trusted Jesus Christ. Today's your day. Do you believe it? Then get in. Let's all stand, Dr. Clark.